Hi everyone, it's Claire Berlinski with the Cosmopolicast. I'm in Paris with my friend Vladislav Davidson. And we want to talk to you today about the Ukraine aid. Um, Vlad, why don't you start with that tweet? Hi Claire. Uh, nice to be staying with you in Paris, but not so nice to receive this news today that we're getting. It turns out that the impasse in Congress is far worse than anybody imagined. So I have a colleague, an acquaintance of mine, Mr. Doug Klain, who's a very bright young man, who is, uh, like myself, a, uh, a fellow at the Atlantic Council. And he actually, he left the Atlantic Council to work for Razum for Ukraine, which is a great organization. But he has a very important tweet, a tweet thread that has just been published today, and I'm going to read parts of it because I think it's it's critical. And just the amount of, uh, of requotes and retweets and the attention that it's gotten from some kind of important people in, in my little game shows that he's uh, today framing the conversation. So Mr. Doug Klain writes, Sources confirm that Trump is directly trying to tank Ukraine border negotiations in order to deny Biden a political win and to keep immigration as a campaign issue later this year. There's a few ways this might go. Fewer good for Ukraine, and above all, precious time is being wasted. Recent polling shows that Trump wields outsized influence on Republicans on Ukraine. For Republican voters, a direct appeal from Trump against Ukraine aid would torpedo their support. Congressional Republicans know this very well. Despite McConnell's com comments, not all Republicans are on board. Uh, he, he goes through a couple of different uh, congressmen who I think are... I we can summarize yeah. this as... I mean, you say that no, it's worse than anyone imagined, but I've understood this for a while now. Trump is, is the reason why this bill can't be passed. And it is a fucking outrage. It is an outrage. It yep. is an outrage. This is all of our future. It is all of the world's future. I, I actually will continue with one more uh, one more tweet from Mr. Klein. As a Senate Republican staffer said privately to me last week, the votes for Ukraine are absolutely there, but Trump's direct intervention could also tank the Ukraine deal for his own purposes, which are not uh, those of American foreign policy. He hasn't come out publicly against it yet, thankfully, but doing so would make it very difficult for Republicans to define him in an election year. He'd single them out, and doing the right thing just isn't worth it to many. No matter what, it's worth remembering just how much time has been wasted here. He talks about the uh, the, the, the MOU. Time yeah. is live. Yeah. It's broken-hearted parents hearing that their kids have been killed. It's it's children being. I mean, Ukrainians are running out of ammunition, and they can no longer shoot down incoming missiles. It's missiles landing on apartment buildings. Yeah. It is the most. It is the the. It's the worst thing the United States has done since slavery. Well, that's a bit harsh. Uh, you know, I'm a new American. I'm a very new American. I, I, my, my historical memory doesn't go that far. It's the worst thing we've done, at least since pulling out of Afghanistan in terms of... Okay, yeah. Right, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Worst thing we've done since pulling out of Afghanistan. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But it's, this is... Pulling out of Afghanistan, at least there was some argument that could be made for it, even if it was the wrong one. But this is, there is no argument that could be made for this. None whatsoever. It's directly contrary to Americans' 
most urgent strategic interests. And what Americans don't realize is how much they're going to pay for this and pay and pay and pay. Yeah, you and I were just talking about the fact that so few Americans actually understand what's at stake here. It's not been set out in any kind of coherent way to the American taxpayer. Uh, not only has it not been set out, but the worst people in America are trying to persuade people of, of the very opposite case. That it's not essential to them. Their lives have no connection to what's going on in Ukraine. That Ukraine is something other than it is. Um, I mean, Tucker Carlson, Elon Musk... J.D. Vance, these people are working overtime to make Americans as confused about what's going on as possible. For all, very, for all various reasons, but I, I, I do believe each one of them, in their own way, is an opportunist, taking the Ukrainian issue for their own personal self-aggrandizement and their own political agenda. I don't think any of them actually care about Ukraine at all. Of course they don't. Right. Of course they don't. They don't care about Americans either. Or either that or they are so stupid. I mean, I think Elon Musk is just total illiterate, and he has no idea what he's talking about. But I think Tucker. I've I've invited him. I've invited him to to come to Ukraine. He ignored he ignored my invitation. Uh, yeah, Tucker Carlson is not a gentleman. Look, but the key thing is, we have to figure out what to do about it because, um, it's not. It's one thing to say this is terrible, but this is this can't be allowed to happen. I mean, too much is at stake. You know. What is what is it what is it that is the source of this? Is it just late imperial decline, the end of Pax Americana, or is it really that we've been we've been telling the kids for so long since two thousand three? No, this is the war, Afghanistan's the war, then Iraq's the war, then 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 Libya's the war, and then now Ukraine's the war, and they just feel like we're we're crying wolf to them, or is it just we're not we don't have a competent foreign policy elite? I can all I can, of that. But oh, okay. it's it's um. Above all, I think when you're in the United States, the rest of the world drops off the, 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 the screen. It's impossible to really believe in the rest of the world when you're in America. It's a very strange cognitive state. Um, and I've been in it. You know, I, I, I grew up in America. I understand this. We have the entire continent to ourselves, Claire. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it doesn't really exist. And it doesn't mean it's not... I mean, it's been a long time since Americans were drawn into a total global war. But a total global war has begun already, and the last time Americans were very much drawn in, and they will be again. There's no way it's not going to... Was the war on terrorism not a total global war? No, of course not. Most Americans had no idea. I mean, most Americans didn't even know anyone who was serving in the military. And many Americans did not know we were still in Afghanistan when we formally withdrew. No, I'm talking about the kind of war where kids get drafted and most of them don't come back, or many of them don't come back. And if that, I mean, it could just end in a nuclear exchange very quickly. Your 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 cat is mewing uh, in a way that is making me think that you're 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 making her heartstrings pulled. Yeah, well, it's very emotional. I have to say, until today, these are things that were. Until today. Yeah, until like today. Literally today or? Until literally today, until my my colleague and acquaintance, Mr. Doug Doug Klein, who's a, a very bright young man, um, tweeted this. These were things that were muttered about by Ukraine hands and Russia experts, but it wasn't entirely apparent that this was policy on on the, the, nat, 
Vinat Khan Trump right, or whatever yeah, you want to call it. Until today, you could say that this was just uh, uh, the 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 Trump people holding the Democrats hostage on border negotiations, which is entirely okay, let's say. But now it really seems that the Ukrainians' worst fears are coming horribly, horribly true. They're running out of ammunition. They are running out of uh, Patriot missiles, which are very expensive and uh, and not not, not very plentiful in, in our warehouses. And every one that they launch, some... Uh, some lieutenant colonel in the Pentagon has to find another one in a, in a warehouse in Germany or in Israel and get it to uh, to uh, Poland and, and truck it over the border from Romania, get it to uh, the, uh, the missile launchers, you know, and and to put pressure on the uh, on the American corporations and the, what what was charmingly used to be called as the uh, the. Uh, the uh, <clears throat> military-industrial complex, which which I'm all in favor of, suddenly being Ukrainian, uh, and, and, you know, there's just not that many of them, and getting them from point A to point B to point C into the launcher to knock out a Russian Kindral missile or an S-300 missile is not that easy, right? And so when you put a bottleneck into the system, even if they were to, even if they were to uh, to, by the I mean the Republicans to pass. The legislation now, it would not be the case that that missile would arrive into a Patriot missile launcher in Kiev in the time necessary in order to save someone's apartment building from getting blown up, right? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it would be better than not passing it at all. The thing is, what what they don't seem to understand, and it's what six Republicans who are yeah, about it's about six to six to eight six to eight Republicans who are who are putting everything at risk. There is a, already a global war against the American, against, the, against America. And the world we built after, the, the world, world we built, built after and World War II. It's taking place in Asia, it's taking place in the Middle East, it's taking place in Europe. Everything is at stake. And the whole world is watching this, even as Americans may not be paying attention to it. And um, if Trump succeeds, and if this isn't passed, and if Ukraine collapses as a result, we have no allies left. No one will ever trust us again after Afghanistan. 100%. So, we, I mean, none. So I wrote an article in Foreign Policy magazine in the summer of 2021. Do you remember that piece which I wrote? Yeah, I just read it. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Claire. <laughs> Thanks. That's some great theater there, Claire. It's a great delivery. Uh, I, I was writing from Kiev in the summer of 2021 when when Bankova, the presidential administration, was just absolutely terrified that the Americans would, would do the same to them next and that the the signal sent to the Kremlin about uh, the Americans' capacity to withstand, uh, be resilient, were the wrong ones. And that the Russians would factor this, price this into their decision matrix, which they absolutely wind up doing, right? They, they see the Biden administration as weak and feckless and interested in, in uh, diminishing American standing in the world and, and, and drawing down American troops and American presence from the Middle East to, to Eastern Europe to Southeast Asia. And they factor this into their, their complex decision-making process before they make a radical gamble. Now, they lost 
at first on that gamble, which they should never have made in the first place. But they were not entirely wrong to make that gamble if they thought that the uh, Biden administration was going to let it all go. Well, it seems they've been correct to make that gamble. In the long term, they may be very correct, right? It seems that they were correct, and they will succeed in reversing the outcome of the Cold War. They will succeed in reversing the outcome of the Second World War, because the, the curtain of darkness and authoritarianism that is going to descend on the globe as a result of this is something I don't think people can imagine. They just think that it's the world's the way it is by... Magic? By magic. Yeah. And it's not. It's not. So this is a good moment to ease into your lovely essay from yesterday. Can you tell our listeners what it is that you wrote and what it was about? Well, there's very alarming warnings from quite serious analysts of North Korea that they may be planning a surprise nuclear attack, that North Koreans may be looking at this circumstance and coming to exactly the same conclusion. That the Russians did two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, they have they have other reasons for saying this, and it's not they don't have irrefutable evidence, but they are they're very experienced observers, and they are making the case that Washington believes its deterrence is more effective than it may be, um, which is exactly the mistake that the Israelis made looking at Hamas. The fact that the Israelis could pulverize Hamas, they thought, was sufficient to keep Hamas from attacking. And the fact that we can pulverize North Korea, we think, is sufficient to keep them from attacking. But that's not necessarily how adversaries think. Especially and, revisionist adversaries who see blood in the water. And we're stumbling around like a drunken elephant. We are looking so vulnerable um, in much the same way Israel was because of its d- domestic divisions and discontent. But this has gone on for a long time. And um, this impasse in Congress is... Criminal. It's criminal. It's criminal. It is, I mean, history, historians it's, will look back at this in the same way. They look back at Munich or Chamberlain or... or even Munich and Chamberlain looks more honorable than this. Because this is not... At least ha- they had, a, not, had an argument at have, least. Yes, I mean, we're not talking yeah. about sacrificing American children yet. We're talking about sending weapons that we're otherwise going to destroy. Right. It, it's, it's all surreal. And it, and it 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 manifestly radically increases the chances of of uh, Chinese movement against Taiwan. It, it increases the chances of border war between China and India. It increases the risk of all sorts of uh, conflicts all over the world in places we can't possibly predict. Out of you know you know from from Africa to Southeast Asia, uh, you know. Uh, to, to uh, the Russians trying to take Georgia or Moldova or, or anything. I mean, they, they, they could just uh, wake up one day and say, okay, let's see if, uh, if NATO really is real. Let's, let's, let's try baloney tactics and slice away uh, a piece of Latvia where the Russians live on the border and see what they do about it, you know? And that's all it takes. One, one, one moment, one calculation, one, one really radical and aggressive move on the border somewhere uh, in Latvia or the Chinese trying to take advantage of a flare-up uh, between South Korea and North Korea while the Iranians are bombing uh, Pakistan. And the entire system could just blow up very quickly. The world that we're ushering into being is so mean and so harsh and so... It's a world, first, as I, as I pointed out, it's a world of radical nuclear proliferation because no one is going to... Hobbs with nukes. Yeah, it's Hobbs with nukes. And 
it's only a matter of time at that point before there is an actual nuclear exchange or a full-on nuclear war. And, you know, I'm talking about these things and it's and no one believes that this is really possible. But this is the logical outcome if you don't understand how the world we live in came into being in the first place. I mean, no one believes this is the logical outcome and you don't understand that unless you know how this world came into being in the first place. Um, human beings are capable of doing unbelievably terrible things to each other. Yeah. And Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it. I've been to war. It's horrible. Uh, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about the Biden administration. Why are they so feckless? Is it just because they 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 really came in with particular foreign policy ideas that that turn out to be silly, and they really thought that they could just uh, put this Russia Ukraine stuff to the side and just really concentrate First on China policy? And they've got these these idiot kids in yeah. the administration. Um, hundred percent. And I don't know what. Biden has been thinking with his Hamlet Act about sending weapons. I mean, if he if he had properly deterred this and sent, and failing that had sent the weapons Ukraine needed at the beginning, we wouldn't be talking about this. Um, and if he if he hadn't said something like the Russians now they need to do something, he said it live on television. You know, remember he was like now they now that they're at the border they have to do something. But I mean, he was basically giving a green light. I mean, it's not apparent still whether it was a, a senile moment or just a a kind of backhanded way of giving them a way out to uh, take some territory in Donetsk or Lugansk without without looking like the you know we're going to go all in i mean if it's we had yeah. said we are we're going to airlift weapons in immediately unless you remove your military from ukraine's border but it's it's that's that's in the past the pa- the, the problem now is congress and there should be massive American pressure on Congress, and there doesn't seem to be. I mean, they, they, Trump is a lost cause, but the people who are doing his bidding are responding to political incentives, and they need to feel political incentives in the opposite direction. Actually, I don't agree that, I don't agree that Trump is a lost cause, because I think Trump is shaped by the opinions and impulses of his base as much as he shapes them. There are a lot of people in my social circle, uh, Ukrainian patriots, Ukrainian nationalists, diaspora people, who are very bright. And we have these conversations uh, about the fact that the, the, the Ukrainians uh, should have done some things differently diplomatically, what could be done about the Natcons and Trump. And there are people who say, well, listen, uh, you can get the, uh, the base to kind of embrace a different viewpoint and Trump will just, you know... Trump hates Ukraine because Zelensky wouldn't conduct his stupid investigation for him. Uh, he, Trump hates Ukraine for multiple reasons. Yes. I mean, and he, we know this for a fact just from John Bolton's memoirs. Yes. We know this from conversations around people around him. You know, I was myself involved in Ukraine Gate. I don't know if you know this. Yes, but, of course. Like, you told me many uh, times. <laughs> but the, the, again, <laughs> play long for the audience, <laughs> Claire. Uh you know, he has multiple reasons for hating Ukraine, um, some of which are not illegitimate. I mean, there, there yes, are... Yes, they are. It's not, it's, I mean, 80% of our... He probably wants to be the president of the United States. I mean, I, look, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Ukrainian nationalist, but the, there, are, there, there were... Mistakes were made by uh, Ukrainian diplomats and people in the Poroshenko administration early on in 2016 where they didn't quite know what to make of Trump. 
they, they, the uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but the Ukrainian ambassador in Washington in 2016 kind of mishandled a very difficult situation. Uh, it is a bit of a tangent. It is a bit of a tangent. Yeah, whatever. It's I mean, whatever. He he should. Yes, it doesn't matter that that there were that there were, is legitimate reason from Trump's uh, uh, chaotic and and crazy and unhappy mind uh, for disliking Ukrainians. There's no reason to destroy everything that generations of Americans and Europeans built. It's not. But seeing that the Ukrainians should have been more proactive about building better uh, lobbying alliances over the last five years. Opportunities were lost. I mean, it's late in the day. It's almost midnight, you know? It's not quite midnight, but it is late in the day, and the Ukrainians made mistakes. And I say this as, uh, as an insider who understands very well what those mistakes were and, and, and yeah, was... They were, they were uh, kind of busy. They were fighting off the Russian invasion. Yeah, and yet they like they never built an APAC the way that the the Israeli lobby has one, or the Cuban lobby has one, or the Armenian lobby has one, or the Taiwanese lobby has one. They never did that. Uh, they're still not spending money on lobbying the way they should be. They uh, made mistakes with uh, thinking the uh, the centralized uh, diplomatic initiative that was coming out of the. Um, out of the foreign policy uh, institutions and and they foreign, made the foreign mistake of trusting Joe Biden. Well, they made the mistake of trusting Joe Biden. They they also thought that uh, that their heroism and the way that they were able to lobby for the first six months to a year would carry into year two. And they thought that we would be strategically rational. I mean, I'm sure it seemed to them we are dying for you. <laughs> right. Why wouldn't Why wouldn't you seize this incredibly I love that you're being more nationalistic than the Ukrainian nationalism, uh, Ukrainian nationalists in the room. But yeah, mistakes were made. It's true, mistakes were made, miscalculations were made. Uh, there, there were, there was not enough investment in certain kinds of diplomatic activity over other kinds. Uh, history historians will not be as kind to us if we lose as they will be. I mean, these mis- mistakes were not were not critical yet. But the point yeah. is, what do we do now? What do we do now? Yeah, because without going back. Be, yeah. There has to be. An absolute maelstrom of pressure on Congress. What do we do? do Claire, save me. Save me, Claire. We've got to somehow make Americans understand what's at stake. And, I mean, if you can get hundreds of thousands of kids protesting about Gaza, how come you can't get hundreds of thousands of Americans protesting about this? So how would we keep this from being a quote-unquote blue voter issue as opposed to an American issue. Because it, it really, to, to the people like Tarker Carlson... And Tarker Carlson's a lost cause. He's all, I mean, whether he is formally a Russian asset or not, I don't know, but he's, he's a lost cause. Correct, but to, to the people who think like that, and he, uh, we're going to use J.D. Vance and Tucker Carlson as a heuristic for people who think like that, what is it that would convince his voters and his listeners and his constituency that this is not just another blue state, deep state, blue... A nuclear bomb going off in an American city? I mean, before that, is there... Can we ratchet down the escalation track a little bit? Um, I, you know, historically, Americans have not noticed until a significant surprise attack on the American homeland. Well, I'm not. I'm not ready to. I'm not ready for that. I'm just trying. I mean, but for a good seventy years after the Second World War, the lessons were remembered, and now they've been forgotten. 
So how, I mean, if, if, if that's your argument, there is nothing we, we can do other no, than, I mean, there, you know. There's got to be, there has got to be some way to get through to people. It, it's just too, Im I mean, it's, it's surreal to see this happening, unfolding in front of us and not be able to do anything. Correct. It's, um. Frustrating. Frustrating is the least of it. It's, it's delirious. It's hallucinate hallucinatory um i mean this is more likely to shape the world that americans live in than the election itself 100 percent. and i just think americans are so distant from a world in which kids were drafted to go off to fight in meat grinder wars that they don't understand that this is what's at stake and they can't envision it but If you had been able to go back and who wouldn't have wanted to rewrite history in the wake of the Second World War? And now we have a chance to make sure it doesn't come out that way. And the worst idiots in America are con are dooming us to the abyss. Well, look, I look, I don't, I don't, I try not to think of them as idiots because I have, I have a lot of empathy for counter elites. I think, I think, uh, America's had three or four presidents in a row who were bad at foreign policy. Yes, it uh, does. Uh, th that's my opinion it's as someone who works in a think tank. One and after another, yes. One after another, and I, I see. I see the foreign policy elites. I'm a senior fellow at, a, at a, an important think tank. I go to Washington, D.C. I go to their meetings. I go to their conferences. I don't find these people particularly impressive as an immigrant of this country. I don't, uh, as someone who's uh, the, uh, the uh, internal, external, uh, eternal outsider, uh, uh, without, without making jokes about globalist cosmopolitan Jews, um, that, that's, that's Claire making a flower, by the way. That's, that's not her ripping, ripping. Uh, flower, yeah. Yeah. That's not her rip, rip, ripping rope in order to, to hang me. But as an insider-outsider, as an immigrant of this country, as someone who wasn't born here, someone who learned English and saw the country with perspective, uh, both loving perspective and, and outsiders alienated perspective, I see these people as much worse than, than their counterparts and antecedents were 30 years ago. And yes, the people who I talk to inside, uh, old men, let's say people in their 60s and 70s and 80s, they see the people who are running American foreign policy as manifestly much worse than the same people who are running these institutions and think tanks and State Department and intelligence services 25, 30 years ago. The decline of American elites is all too real. This is why people like J.D. Vance, who make those arguments, uh, have a, 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 real, a real pull on um, American voters in the heartland who see uh, 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 the Sullivans of the world uh, and these other kinds of characters who are manifestly mismanaging American foreign policy uh, as as uh, uh, mediocre or worse. And I, I have a lot of I have a lot of time for those arguments. Myself being a senior, I'd a have sen a lot of time yeah. for it if they weren't proposing something radically worse. I mean, they are, but like, how do you how do you tell them yes? You're right about America losing three wars, and yes, you're right about this foreign policy elite being fools, and yes, you're right about the the financialization of the economy, and yes, you're right about the fact that we lost three wars, and that the that these people are more interested in DEI and trans rights than they are in in uh, in in saving uh, what three or four generations of Amer of American foreign policy elites built. Uh, and yet, and yet, and yet, how do you how do you make that argument to them? Like when when the arguments almost convince me, and I am actually a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. 
How do you make the argument? Yeah, I'm I'm a Ukrainian nationalist who went to war and had to evacuate my own relatives. Why do you need to make that argument? You do, absolutely, Claire. The argument is very simple. Ukraine is holding back Russia. It's buying us time to rearm. Ukraine, if Russia is able to steamroll over Ukraine, it will not stop. It will not stop against Europe? Yeah. Can you even say that you that America is an extension of European civilization yes, you can. nowadays without without making a lot of weenies of a democratic party yell at you that you're like a colonialist oppressor? So what? what? You're making this case to people who don't believe that anyway. You're you're a lovely person who happens to be a, uh, a, 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 a sitting in a nice apartment in the middle of Paris and a foreign policy person. You haven't. How, when's the last time you were in America, Claire? Ten years ago. Well, Claire, uh, I, I, I again, you and I agree on everything. Except I'm not hearing from you any arguments which would convince people who don't already think like you. I'm sorry to say. And, uh, and these are my people and my cousins on the line. You know? The argument your kids will die in a global war is doesn't, isn't convincing? Did we, make, did we not, not make that argument when they sent their kids to war in Afghanistan, Iraq? I mean, I'm, I'm not playing devil's advocate here. Um, the, number, the percentage of Americans who sent their kids to die in Afghanistan and Iraq is very small. Do you know how many people cycled through Afghanistan and yeah, Iraq? The, the, 2.7 million the over 20 years. The burden on the enlisted military was incredibly hot, hard, but well, it was completely divorced from Americans' daily lives. Well, I, it, 2. I mean, blue America, yes. I don't know anybody having grown up in New York whose kids went off to fight in Iraq. Right. But in red America, 2.7 million people cycled through Iraq and Afghanistan over 10, 10 15 years. That is a lot of people who who have cousins and, and, and friends and relatives who had to deal with their opium addiction. How, like, what do you, that's not nothing. 2.7 million Americans is the entire population of Estonia. That's exactly the story of the Second World War. Is it? Yes, of course it is. Please tell me. That publics couldn't be persuaded that Hitler was a threat because they remembered the First World War. Until? Until it was shown that Hitler was a threat. Until Hitler ran roughshod over all of Europe. And even then, Americans didn't want to be involved and weren't involved until Pearl Harbor. Again, I agree with you 100,000%. You're just, even to me, you're not making an argument that will, that will shift a, a single red state voter who already hates the deep state elites. You have to, you have to find a new Why language to talk to. Why is it self-interest enough? Is it? Do they, do they think you're talking to their self-interest? I, I, don't see what, I don't see what it is about this argument that isn't obvious, obviously in their interest. Have you not heard this argument? Is no one making it to them directly? No, or I don't think so. Or are they just living in their Nikki own epistemic Haley, bubble? Nikki Haley has once or twice said it's about preventing war. But she hasn't made the case repeatedly. She hasn't made it in a way that would really penetrate. Would they even listen to Nikki Haley? Is she not a representative of the, of the Republican Party? They tried to defenestrate and Fermador out of, out of existence. I don't think that they all need to be persuaded six Republicans in Congress need to be rep- persuaded. I think those six Republicans follow their base. And I'm, I, I'm more and more having to hang out with, with conservatives and, and young Republicans and, and all sorts of people who are usually outside of my frame of socialization, who I like quite fine, by the way. They're all very nice and, and quite fun. And, and I, they're fine. They're good Americans. Uh, but they, they have all sorts of silly ideas about corruption and about the deep state and about uh, Russia. And they have all sorts of bad ideas. Yes, it's not an accident. I know it's not an accident, but what do you do to, what, what do you do to counter them in their own information space? I've not yet heard anything from anybody. And I'm, I'm trying to work on this with my friends. Like, so please explain to me what I'm supposed to be doing.
You've had no luck when you speak to them one-on-one? One-on-one I can, yeah. But so like, what do you tell them? Uh, if I have 20 minutes with a very intelligent person who will listen to me, I actually I have to I have to like start with giving them like two minutes of like yeah you're right like the, like the Biden administration are like fools and and Obama people made bad decisions and like we've we've like you actually have to start with giving them kind of a two minute version of why you grew their worldview before you say but and yet and well well also yes and but that's fine um, okay. I can do that but there's not fifty thousand vlogs in the world sadly. Actually, maybe not. Sadly, it'd be a much it'd be a much crazier world if it, if it were. Who has cultural influence with them? Who is the most likely to be able to understand this argument? Trump. <laughs> Trump. Yeah, Trump is not going to be persuadable. Uh. I mean, it's not just Trump. It's like they've been listening to Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek Ramaswamy is like a bot repeating algorithm talking points he's not stupid obviously but he's a he's a he's a vicious malicious bot yeah um you know yeah this, uh, who could speak to them and it's his entirely his, entirely his own special self-interest to say these things the, the british have shown up to try to plead with them this morning i was i was just in dc when liz truss came and was introduced by kasparov to all these american national conservatives uh, we were at the, what was it, the Museum of, of uh, Victims of Communism. There are delegations quietly of British and They're European... they not listen to anyone foreign. Even Liz Truss? Yeah. Why even, Liz Truss. Know, even Liz Truss? Even Liz Truss? Even Liz Truss? Even Liz Truss? Why would they even know her name? Um, no less care. Yeah, Boris Johnson, by the way, Boris Johnson uh, went all in on Trump uh, now. Yeah, he humiliated himself in order to try and, I mean, he, he took one for the team there. Yeah. I mean, when these foreign policy conservatives from, from the Tory party arrive for these special dinners with their counterparts in the Republican Party, I do feel these con- conservative natcons, when they get invited, they feel special and they, they speak the same language. The language of conservatism, the language of values, the language of country. They, they, they do speak the same language and the same yeah, register also, rhetoric. I mean, they get visited the next day by Orban and that's, that's all undone. That's hundred percent correct. I don't even. I don't. I have no answer to that, Claire. I. I. You're hundred. We. I have. Your descriptions are correct. I have no prescriptions, honestly. Uh, Orban is uh, a problem, and we, you can have all the NatCon uh, conservatives from the UK visiting and talking in nice, nice British English to our our uh, Republican friends, and then the next day Orban comes and he's like an even better looking girl. You know, <laughs> I don't have an answer. I'm sorry. I wish I did. What about Joe Rogan? Do you have Joe Rogan's phone number? No, but could he be made to understand this? So the argument you're making is if we just find the right influencers, the right interlocutors and influencers. I mean, it's just that time is running out. 100%. We have have two months, basically. We have two months. And uh, it'll be too late. The, Demo- the Democratic Party and the Sullivan and Biden wanted this issue to go away before the elections. They've manifestly failed, and they made. If they wanted it to go away before the elections. Why were they? Why were they sitting there, wringing their hands instead of sending weapons? They weren't wringing their hands. They were playing a double game where they were they were saying one thing and then trying to quietly, discreetly explain to the 
to the Ukrainians and not in so many words that they need a stalemate and that they're going to settle for a stalemate. You know how many back-channel negotiation yeah, a- attempts there have been to get Trump. the Russians to... to... Yeah, I know. You know this. Yeah, I, know. I don't have to, I mean... Idiots. Idiots. And the, the more you do that, the more Russians are like, oh, okay, this is working. Yeah. <laughs> so they are fools. They're absolutely sending the wrong signals and they've, they've delusioned themselves into believing foolish things, right? So how do you get these foolish fools who are very foolish and sending the wrong delusional mixed messages to everybody to stop doing it when they're already on a path-dependent vector, right? I don't have an answer to this. Maybe, maybe I'm just not smart enough. I don't know, Claire. Who do we know? Is there anyone in the foreign policy community that you, res- you respect? Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, like, I don't know. What do you mean? Like, like, uh, who would have good advice about this? There are literal, people talk about this all day long. They're smart, intelligent foreign policy experts and grand old men who are thinking about this all day long. The problem is that there's no consensus of what America is, let alone what it should be or what its foreign policy should be. This uh, one is so obvious. This one is, is it? Yes, it's obvious if you take the predicate that, that America should for the next hundred years continue to, uh, to rule over uh, a, a European-led foreign policy, Western, Western liberal thing. It's obvious thing. that you think Russia committing genocide in Ukraine and then going on to enslave all of Eastern Europe and turn Western Europe into a dependent... <sighs> is, it, is it even apparent to swaths of American elites now, especially in the Democratic Party, who... Uh, come out of a worldview that's completely radically different from your, yours and my own, that that Europe is part of American civilization. Yeah, the far we, left is only 6% of the Democrats. I, don't, I wouldn't say it's far left. I would say, but yeah, but the uh, people who take decolonization or yeah, at least light versions of it for granted. That's only 6% of the Democratic Party. I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, but they're, they're way overrepresented in the elites of the Democratic Party. If you even use the language of Judeo-Christianity or Western civilization or barbarism or any of that, you will alienate these people to the point where, where they'll call you a natcon or a right-winger or a bad person. I no longer think that, that the language... See, then the cat, the cat also doesn't think that the language... Yeah, the cat also doesn't think that the language is, is uh, uh, generative or anything. I think the, the, the actual narratives of the West... Uh, liberal internationalism are so discredited among swaths of, of young American foreign policy elites or who, those who will become elites that you cannot use it anymore well, uh, unironically as you do, having not been in the U.S. in 10 years, Claire. Am I wrong? Thank you, Kat. I don't know if you're right or wrong, but um, I think for the majority of the electorate, they do realize this means something. And even if your entire, your sole preoccupation is the developing world, um, Putin would be perfectly happy to starve it. We know this. 100%. He tried. Uh-huh. I was in Odessa. It's true. I was there. Yeah. Um, none of this is good for the developing world, that's for sure. I mean, in, in most, in many ways, they will be the... Real losers. They will be the paramount losers. Right. Everyone who's in... Living on the poverty line now is going to be. You don't even have. You don't even have to starve them. This this chaos has just uh, created chaos in grain futures. I mean, uh, the the 
do you know that we've we've done very well in pushing the the Russians out of the Black Sea basin into the, uh, around uh, around uh, Odessa into into the furthest edges of uh, of the Black Sea next Incredibly to Georgia. Well, considering no Ukrainian navy. Right. I mean, we we, we can we can blow up their their ships now, and we've come a long way. But just in the last two months, I don't know if you know this, but the uh, the insurance premiums on a Black Sea container ship full of grain is down from seven and a half percent of tonnage to one and one and a quarter. Do you know that? The insurance premium was almost up to eight percent on any given shipment, which is mind blowing. That's a lot. Eight percent premium on on a grain container, right? But these contracts, long term contracts, they they still price in uh, systematic variance in uh, in in possibility of of war in the black basin and long term the grain the grain futures are still all over the place which means grain markets are going to continue to be volatile which means that certain europe certain african countries eritrea ethiopia whatever who really need grain shipments will have to pay more right you don't even have to starve them you can just make them pay more and that's a big problem for them does the GOP still care about Israel? Because that's the other part of the package they're stalling. They, 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 they claim to. I don't know if they do. I don't know if they do. I mean, look, they are stalling that package. I mean, their, their voter base does. The Democrats' voter base does not, but the GOP's voter base certainly does. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, are the Trumpist natcons still pro-Israel? I don't think so. I mean, what was Trump's reaction to uh, hearing about October 7th? It was fuck Netanyahu. Well, I mean, he he was never a very particularly moral person, right? Like, he, he does, you know, he he reacts to things based on the algorithm, whether it's good for his base and him, right? And he, of course, is deeply emotional about people who screw him over or don't give him the love or loyalty that he believes that he deserves and so, you know, I've been seeing Jewish foreign policy elites in Washington, D.C., and they've been telling me about the delegations of Israeli military and Ukrainian military who passed through, have passed through Washington, D.C. in November and December and January. And it's fascinating. A lot of those conversations are obviously off the record, but there, there are a lot of very scared delegations and foreign policy elites coming from Ukraine and talking to Jewish elites trying to figure out how they can reframe the conversation to make Americans understand again that this is the same war and that uh, the Iranians are fighting Israel, America, and Ukraine all at the same time. And all the polling shows that no more than 20-25% of American voters understand that this is the same conflict. That Ukraine and Israel are fighting literally the same people. And that uh, the uh, the Russians are a junior partner in one conflict and a senior partner in the other conflict, and and the Iranians vice versa. But it, these are two theaters of the same war. So why is it that it's so hard to explain something to, which is to me so obvious to the average American voter who you know comes from a European as opposed to a non-European background and is much more deeply pro-Israel than the average voter in the Democratic Party is.
it's hard to explain because the media has completely failed to explain it because politicians have completely failed to explain it. Um, and because of that weird cultural isolation that descends on you the moment you enter American airspace, such that the rest of the world doesn't really exist. Was it always the case, or was this just like a newfound thing? It's always been the case to an extent. The new world. Yeah, I mean, it is the new world. Oh. That was the whole point of it originally. It's to um, run away from the old world. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's been grossly exacerbated by the um, collapse of the media. And it's been grossly exacerbated by idiotic fads in the academy, of course. Um, we all know this. Yeah, I mean, we know this story. The problem is that it's now coming to an, a moment of cataclysmic crisis. And we cannot just sit here and watch it happen. I mean... So again, let's get back to uh, that grand old question asked by Comrade Lenin. What is to be done? Yeah. What is to be done? He also said, uh, The worse, the better. So what is to be done, Comrade Berlinski? Well, everyone listening to this should send a letter to their representative. Or call. Call their representative. Call the representative yeah. over and over. Um, they do. They absolutely, uh, the, the, the secretary at the office of your representative absolutely does count phone calls on issues. And that information is carefully delivered to the chief of staff and they do calculate. If you are yeah. in Mike Johnson's district or if you know someone who is, that's the most important place to concentrate. Um, who are the other critical holdouts? I mean, there's like Matt Gates and... You're not um, going to be able to do anything about Matt Gates. Um, do they not fear a primary? I don't think they do, actually. I mean, they will, they'll win in the primary. They're already, uh, they're, they have control of the, of the party in, in the primaries. I think, I, I think those six districts, there's not much to be done about them. The point that you should make in your emails and your phone calls and your visits, if you can, um, is that we are headed for a catastrophe of a kind that Americans are now alive have never experienced, that it is absolutely needless, absolutely pointless. There is no strategic or, or economic or military argument for it whatsoever. A moral argument. And that it is immoral beyond words. It is shameful beyond words. It is dishonorable beyond words. It will be viewed as, if any historians are left, it will be viewed by historians as incomprehensible. Just incomprehensible. The categories. Pardon? The categories. The cat is uh, going mm -hmm. on a chorus of agreeing. A Greek chorus, the cat. And this isn't something that won't affect your life. If only if you only care about the price of gas in your tank, the gas will go up. And if you can look at your kids and think, I mean, they'll be drafted, or America Con conscripted. Will, yeah, they'll be conscripted. Either that, or America will be reduced to a kind of a rump island, where we can barely even leave our own shores. I mean, it's just. I mean, 
it's such a, it's such a depressing conversation to be having, but it's, but it's not wrong is the thing. However, yeah. hallucinatory. I mean, you just shook your head, but you should actually say that so they can hear it. Yeah, it's not wrong. Yes, yes, Claire, it's not wrong. We're both depressed. Uh, obviously, we, we've been we've been depressed the entire morning. We've been arguing about this, and well, not arguing because we don't disagree on much. But it, it's it's incredibly depressing. And if you believe in in a world where things are slightly better, where Americans try to make things better, which I fundamentally do, sadly. I mean, I, I don't want the world run by Russians or or the Chinese Communist Party or, or uh, you know, like third worldists. I don't want this. I think America, for all its faults, has made the world a slightly better place. Uh, I mean, you know, a much better place. Yeah, I mean, the, there's there's so many people who would disagree with that now, like the the leftist, the leftist anti-American worldview is now hegemonic. Holding up the aid anyway. They're not, you know, they're they're not. That's right. We're not talking to them right now today. So. I wish I had a better idea. I don't. Uh, my my friends and I are, are having all these emergency meetings about what to do, and and a lot of people realize too late that this was going to happen, and uh, there are all sorts of emergency projects in the work. But you know, it all seems very futile, and it, I feel like I'm watching a a, a uh, train crash. In yeah, slow motion. I've, I've realized this. I mean, I don't know why I don't, you only realized today. This is why I couldn't even write anything last week. I just was so angry I couldn't couldn't even focus. And on that positive note, thank you, Claire, for having me in your apartment. <laughs> You're so welcome, Vlad. <laughs> You're so welcome. On this brief brief visit to Paris. Two cheers for democracy. Three cheers for democracy. No, two is the... the Ian Forster. Two, but we need three at this point. So, um, I'm hoping things will get better. I'm, uh, I'm hoping that some, you know, some miracle. Do we believe in miracles, Claire? Why not? Does good triumph over evil? It has. It sometimes. I mean, it can. Doesn't if no one does anything. Doesn't always. Doesn't always. Yeah. And on that on that happy cheery note, dear listeners, we wish you adieu. <laughs> All right.